Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning, even though my presence is obviously different than usual. I do look forward to being back with you in person soon. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on healthy relationships. And we're specifically talking about how do we disagree well. In our culture, disagreements are rampant. I mean, an obvious source of disagreement right now is COVID and politics, but even though these are causing a lot of conflict and tension now, the reality is disagreements can form over all kinds of different topics. Sometimes the topics are as everyday and mundane as what are we going to have for supper? Or is it right to spend money on that type of thing? Sometimes there are disagreements about how to handle a difficult project at work. Or something like, why hasn't anyone cleaned up that mess down, the, down in the basement? You know, anytime you have more than one person in one place, there are bound at some point to be disagreements. And so today we're talking about how to disagree well. I invite you to turn in the Bible this morning to Romans chapter 14. And if you are in person this morning and did not bring a Bible with you, you can grab one from the pew in front of you. And Romans 14 is on page 1143. So we are in Romans chapter 14. I want to give you some background before we dig into, into this passage. Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the ancient city of Rome. Now within that church, there are a lot of disagreements that were forming. And in fact, there were two factions that had formed over a number of these disagreements. And these factions were titled the weak and the strong. The weak Christians were those who believed that following certain guidelines was important in their faith. The strong Christians, on the other hand, believed that Jesus gave freedom from those guidelines. And so within that church in Rome, the animosity was rising. And so within this letter that Paul wrote in chapter 14, he gave some practical guidance on how to handle their disagreements in a healthy way. And from Romans chapter 14, we're going to draw out four principles for how in our disagreements, we can handle those disagreements well. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we look at the world around us, and we look at our own lives, our own relationships, and we see a lot of challenges, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, a lot of disagreements. Lord, a lot of these things strike deeply in our hearts. These are challenging situations. And Lord, I pray that in our time together now that you will give us wisdom from your word on how to handle these disagreements well, in a way that builds healthy relationships, and in a way that ultimately honors you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to follow along as I read Romans 14, picking up in verse 1. Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So the first principle that we're looking at here for how to disagree well is to make sure your motive is love. Last week I defined love as a commitment to another person's highest good. Now love certainly at times includes warm feelings toward another person, although Sometimes, especially when we're disagreeing with people, warm feelings are absent. 
But love is more than just warm feelings. Love is this commitment to another person's highest good. And so even then, when we are in a disagreement with someone, even though we may not have warm feelings again, uh, toward them, we can have love toward them in terms of being intentional to use our words and our actions to bring good to them, to benefit them, to bring good to the relationship and to the situation, rather than simply trying to get our way or to prove them wrong. So love should be our motive if we want to disagree well. But if among the people here in Romans chapter 14, it's clear that love was not their motive. I mean, even in verse 1, Paul has to tell the strong group of Christians that when uh, someone from that weak group comes into church, you should welcome them. I mean, don't turn them away. You know, show care toward them. And when you initiate a conversation with them, don't do it just to start an argument. I mean, be motivated by love and by care. Now, one of the disagreements that was taking place within that church in Rome was over what type of food Christians should eat. Now, I will say that as you hear about some of these disagreements they were having, you may be thinking in your mind, man, th those are so petty, especially compared to COVID and politics and all these big issues our culture is facing. But the reality is, these were big issues that had the potential to blow up that church in Rome. Because interpreted in a certain way, each one of these issues could have been seen as a threat to the gospel. And so there was a big disagreement taking place among these Christians, for one, over what type of food should be eaten. Let me give you some more background to that. In that Roman Empire, there were pagan temples all over the place. And in those pagan temples, many animals were sacrificed to these false gods. And after those animals were sacrificed, many times the meat from those animals would be sold in markets. And in fact, that was a primary source of meat in the Roman Empire. And you had this one group of Christians who was categorized as weak, who felt like it was wrong to eat that meat that was sacrificed to idols. They felt like it was actually participation in idolatry and dishonoring to God if they ate that meat. So they abstained from eating actually any meat at all because so much of the meat came from those pagan temples. But then on the other hand, you had this other group of Christians titled the Strong Christians. They made the majority of the Roman church. And they felt like, hey, these, these, these false gods, they aren't actually gods at all. Jesus frees us to eat anything we want, so we can eat this meat. It's no big deal. And so there was a huge disagreement there over what to eat. This disagreement was poisoning relationships within that Roman church. And so in verse 3, Paul says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not, not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now notice where Paul is focused here. He's not focused on telling them which one is right in terms of what you can eat and what you can't eat. Instead, he's focused on their attitude. He's telling them, you are both wrong because of your attitude. So it's very possible in our lives to have the right opinion and the right interpretation on something to actually be wrong in God's sight because of our attitude. And that's why if we want to have healthy relationships with those around us, we must start with the heart. We must remember Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourselves so that even when we disagree, our motive 
is not to prove them wrong. Our motive is not to, to make them feel bad or just to get our way. Our motive must be love. It benefits them as well as us. So that's the first principle. Our motive must be love. The second principle for disagreeing well is to embrace humility, not judgmentalism. Look with me to verse 4 in this passage. It says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now jump down to verse 10. It says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Back when I was about 10 years old, I remember sitting around my, my family's supper table. We were eating supper. And my younger sister was complaining about not wanting to eat any peas, a common complaint in our household. And that particular night, I, 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 I spoke to her, and I was the one who decided I'm going to tell her how many peas she needs to eat before she can leave the table. So I told her, how Adrian, you need to eat this many peas before you leave the table. And it was very quickly clear that I had overstepped my authority. My dad, I don't remember why I said that, but I do remember distinctly my dad then looking at me and saying, Brandon, you are not the parent. You're not the parent. He was making it very clear in that instant that there is an authority in the house and that authority is not me. I had overstepped my authority. And what happens when we have a judgmental attitude towards someone else is that we are overstepping our authority in their lives because God is the ultimate authority and everyone is ultimately accountable to him, not to us. That's why in verse 12 it says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Or back in verse 4 it says, who are you to pass judgment on this on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So we are not the judges of other people. So the call for us is to embrace humility not judgmentalism. Now, this does not mean that we should never correct someone who we think is wrong. It doesn't mean that we can't point someone else to God's truth. It does mean, though, that when we do these types of things, when we engage with other people and we're in disagreements with someone else, that we should have a major dose of humility, recognizing, you know, God's watching it all. And God is the one to whom we are all ultimately accountable. So I think a relevant question here is how do we embrace humility, especially when we're disagreeing with someone? How do we embrace humility? Well, let me share two tactics. One is to listen, to be intentional, listen well. James chapter 1, verse 19 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, the reality is, is most people are not actually very good listeners, especially when the tension rises, when we're in a disagreement, we struggle to listen well. Instead, we're trying to form what we're going to say next so that we can make our point and prove them wrong. But listening well helps them to see, you know, we actually value them. It helps us to better understand where they are coming from. And that leads to the second point for embracing humility is not just to listen well, 
but to consider what their viewpoint is on the topic, to really deeply consider their viewpoint. That is a step of humility. There's a book called Crucial Conversations. In that book, there's a section that's titled Turn Villains into Humans. And in that section, it says, when you find yourself labeling or otherwise vilifying others, stop and ask, why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do what this person is doing? This particular question humanizes others. As we search for plausible answers to it, our emotions soften. Empathy often replaces judgment. And depending upon how we've treated others, personal accountability replaces self-justification. So especially in light of the fact that we're all going to be accountable to God one day, we should embrace humility, even in those times when we're disagreeing with others, or even especially in those times. Now, a third principle for our disagreements is to give people grace, especially when they are genuinely striving to honor God. Look with me to verse 5. It says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So here the disagreement has shifted from food to whether certain religious days should be observed in specific and special ways. Now this is actually a topic I have seen Christians debate over and look down upon one another over, and it's especially around observing the Sabbath. I have seen Christians at times who believe that the Sabbath should be treated as so special, and it raises the question of what should be done on the Sabbath and what should not be done. Is it all right to mow the yard on the Sabbath? Some Christians think not. Is it appropriate for Christians to go out to eat at a restaurant on the Sabbath? Because after all, if you go out to eat, then essentially you're forcing the workers there at the restaurant to work on the Sabbath, which could be seen as a violation of God's decree for how the Sabbath should be observed. And so how should the Sabbath be observed? I've seen Christians debate this, and I've seen Christians look down on other Christians for how they do or do not observe the Sabbath. So these are very real issues. There's something very interesting going on here in Romans chapter 14 as Paul is addressing these topics. And the interesting thing is that even though these two sides are taking opposite stances, Paul says that actually both sides are seeking to honor God. And look with me again to verse 6. It says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So both sides, Paul says, are doing what they're doing because they are seeking to honor God. They're trying to honor God, and their interpretation is that what they are doing is the best way, actually, to honor God. Now, this, this is kind of tricky, isn't it? I mean, this perspective creates some gray areas, and for those who want you know, things to be clear-cut and black and white, this can be kind of uncomfortable. To have these two different sides that are opposing, they are not equally right on one hand. Yet Paul is not drawing a line of which one's right and which one's wrong. He's saying, you know, really, the motive of each person 
is to honor God, and that is commendable. And this does point to the importance of truly in our lives seeking to honor God. In all parts of our lives, we should be seeking to honor and glorify God. I think for that reason, it's important that, especially in those areas of contention, but really in all areas, that we're seeking God's guidance from Scripture when we are seeking to form our opinions and perspectives. That our ultimate source of authority in terms of how we view things and how we handle things is not what we want. And it's not what's popular in culture. And it's not what, you know, some talking head on TV or the internet is saying. Ultimately, Scripture, God's Word, is to be our guide. Is to form our opinion of what we are to do. And in that way, we are seeking ultimately to honor God. Now, what I see as I look at this passage in Romans 14 is that God is looking at people's hearts. And really, in this type of situation, Romans 14, he accepts Christians from both sides. Even though they may not be equally right, he sees their hearts and he sees their genuine attempts to honor him. Now, if they were distorting the gospel in some way, I'm convinced that Paul would have called them out on that. But really, God accepts them both because what they're disagreeing over is not central to salvation. Each side of this camp will both end up in heaven one day, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced, actually, that in heaven we're all going to figure out and all going to find out that, that there are some things on this earth, even though we study deeply in Scripture, that we were incorrect on. And so that should certainly give us humility. Now, again, the picture I see of God in this passage is of a gracious God who loves his children's attempts to honor him, even if his children's attempts to honor him are not always perfect. God is gracious. It reminds me of when children bring their parents breakfast in bed. You know, the, the cereal may be soggy and the, the toast may be cold by the time it arrives to the parents. But the parents are filled with, with love and warmth, not because of the quality of the food, but because of the heart behind it. They love their children's attempts, although not perfect, but their children's attempts to honor them. And similarly, I see that same heart in God. And, you know, when people hold different positions, this calls us to look at their hearts and ask, are they truly tr striving to honor God here? And if so, even if their attempts are imperfect in our perspective, we should give them a lot of grace. You know, even when we're interacting with people who are obviously not trying to honor God with their attempts, even if they are not Christians, it's still good to give people grace unless what they are doing is hurting other people in significant ways. It's important to look at people's heart. And granted, we can't see people's heart like God can, but still, even instead of just reacting uh, harshly toward what other people are doing when they disagree, we should consider, you know, are they really our enemy? Are they really being a bully in this situation? Or is it that they are trying to do the best they can? They're trying to apply their faith as they interpret it to the situation as best they can. It may not be perfect, but you know what? They're trying as best they can. And that can give us grace even when we disagree with them and, and cause us to give them grace. Now let's move on to this passage, picking up in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus 
that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, there is a lot in that passage that I just read, but the one thing I want to really focus on and point out is Paul's passion to be intentional to build others up rather than tearing others down. So that leads to the fourth uh, principle for how to disagree well when we do disagree. And that principle is this. Consider how your attitudes, words, and actions affect others, especially their faith in Jesus. We're called to build others up. Consider how our words, actions, and attitudes affect others, even in, in ways that we do not intend. But think about it. How do these affect others, especially how it affects their faith in Jesus? Verse 19 says, Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So that's the goal. Build people up rather than tearing them down. Verse 15 says, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Similarly, verse 20 says, Do not, for the sake of food, these things you're disagreeing over, destroy the work of God. Paul is basically saying, you know, you know, there's something that's so much more important than you being right about these secondary topics that you're disagreeing about. Those topics are not unimportant. In fact, in that passage I read a moment ago, Paul does take a stance on it. But he's saying even more important than being right on these topics that are not central to the gospel, even more important than that is treating one another with love, with respect, and maintaining the unity of the body of Christ rather than destroying the work that God is doing simply because you insist on getting your way. You know, there is a, a, a profound others-centeredness throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that calls us to look not only to our own interests, but also and even especially to the interests of others. And if that's the mentality that we bring into our interactions with others, even when we disagree, we're looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, we'll be well on that road to disagreeing well, even when we end the conversation by agreeing to disagree. So there's a lot more in this passage, but those are four principles that can help us when we disagree, to disagree well, to maintain healthy relationships even with those with whom we disagree. So make sure your, motives, uh, your motive is love. Embrace humility, not just mentalism. Give people grace, especially when they are genuinely striving to honor God. And consider carefully how your attitudes, words, and actions affect others, especially their faith in Jesus. Now in closing, I want to offer four additional observations for how to disagree well. These observations 
I don't necessarily come directly from scripture, but, but they're just practical. So one is this recognition that stress degrades how people handle disagreements. You know, I see this in my life when I'm really tired or when I'm stressed because I'm so busy or I'm dealing with some hard things. It's so easy to be impatient and more irritable than I normally am. Stress degrades our ability to disagree well. And I think about our broader society. Our society is so stressed out right now, especially these last 18 months. And what that does is put so many people right on the edge, gives them a very short fuse. And so among other ways we apply that mentality or this recognition, it's just an understanding that it's important to be cautious especially as we are engaging in contentious topics that people bring them up to us or if for some reason we need to bring them up to them, be cautious, be careful, be intentional, be gracious and patient in how we bring these things up. And there may be times where, you know, it's better just not to even talk about those topics at all, if possible, just because people are so on edge because of stress. Now, a second topic and second observation is that to disagree well, and have healthy relationships. We need tough skin and a tender heart. Tough skin and a tender heart. This is a phrase that I've heard for years applied to pastors, that pastors need a tough skin but a tender heart because pastors oftentimes receive so much criticism and complaining. They need a tough skin. They need to let things roll off their back without taking it personally. But at the same time, they need to maintain a tender heart, a soft, caring heart toward others, tough skin and tender heart. I think especially as we look at what's happening around us, everyone needs a tough skin, but a tender heart. But it's so easy in today's culture to be thin-skinned, to take things offensively, to be offended by pretty much everything, to take everything personally. And so we would do well to pray that God will give us a tougher skin, a willingness to let things roll off our back, to not internalize everything as being personal toward us. I think of Proverbs 19.11 that says, It is to a person's glory to overlook an offense, to not take it personally. I have a tough skin to recognize, you know what, I don't need to react to that. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to offer grace and forgiveness in the moment. I'm going to move on and have tough skin, but a tender heart to care for others well. Third observation is that if you live out the principles that we talked about from Romans 14, you will be a safe person who people trust to talk with about practically anything. Because if you live out these principles of love and humility and graciousness, of listening well, of considering other people's viewpoints, even as you disagree with them, you will be a safe person who people trust. They know, you know, you're going to be patient with me. You're going to listen well. And even if you don't agree with me, you're not going to blow up the relationship. You're not going to demean me and be rude to me. No, you're going to be a safe person. And I think especially in terms of our relationship with those around us who are not followers of Christ. This is so important as we want to share the gospel with them. That if people see us as safe people, that will help build bridges for the gospel into their lives. Final observation, it is not easy to disagree well. It's not. I mean, it's really not. I mean, many times disagreements get personal. Many times the disagreements, um, they affect our lives in significant ways. They can hurt deeply. On top of that, emotions rise, which makes it hard to handle them well. It's not easy, but it is possible 
as we, especially as we depend on the Holy Spirit to give us his love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we say, God, I can't do this myself. I need you. He wants to fill us with that love and that patience and that kindness and gentleness that we need in order to disagree well, to represent God well in our relationships. Now, as we conclude this message today, you may be feeling like, wow, we barely scratched the surface. Wow, I now have more questions and more, more challenges in my mind than I even did before. Well, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to address topics like this. Next week, we're going to talk about resolving conflict. I mean, how do, how do we handle things when we're really upset, when we're angry, and we really feel like someone has wronged us? And it's, it's not something we can just agree to disagree on. How do we handle that? That's what we'll be talking about next week. And then the following week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And along the way, then, we're going to talk about how to handle anger and how, how forgiveness works, how we can forgive others, just as God, through Jesus, offers forgiveness to us. And with that in mind, we're going to close our service today by singing a song that reminds us of the hope that we can have through Jesus. And I think this is a great way to close this service because, you know, even as we recognize there were disagreements all around us, by, by joining together and singing the song, we're able to sing about something that hopefully unites us. The joy of the hope that we have through Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. That even though we are certainly not perfect and our attempts to honor you fall far short, and, and we have all those times where we certainly don't honor you and don't even try. We sin royally many times, Lord. But we thank you that you are a gracious God who loves us richly. I pray that you will fill us with your love and your grace, that it may flow through us into the lives of others. Lord, in those times where our emotions are getting worked up, or where we're talking with someone, interacting with someone who disagrees with us, even in ways that we perceive to be major ways, ways even that we perceive are dishonoring to you, Lord. Please give us wisdom and discernment on how to handle those situations well with our attitudes, our words, and our actions in a way that, that, that honors you and can build others up and maintain healthy relationships, especially within the body of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Invite us now to stand and sing together.